the best learning experience that I've had is developing gender guidelines for supporting gender diverse students and developing sexual health and health relationship programs. And we did this by inviting in professionals and helping us to develop this program. My agency has increased through the fact that the more involved I was, the more involved I wanted to be. I was also inspired by seeing the results of our work. Welcome to this special series on Learner Agency, a defining feature in the emerging future of schools. I'm your host, Luca Parry, and in this collaboration between the Learning Future and the Association of Independent Schools of South Australia, we orbit 10 lessons shared by global education expert, Charlie Ledbeater. This is episode six, creating new patterns. Charlie, this lesson is all about creating new patterns. Give us a sense of what this actually means for our work in schools. Well, thank you, Luca, and thanks for being with us. Um, one way to think about schools or any organisation is that they're a kind of container, and they're a kind of container for interactions or relationships. And often in schools, we think that those um, interactions are fairly routine. We know how it's all arranged, if you like. There are teachers and students, there are classrooms and lessons, there are breaks, there are chairs and blackboards, um, textbooks and exams. And the whole point, in a way, is to create a fairly routine, predictable, um, repeatable kind of experience. And what learner agency is trying to do is to create new patterns of interaction. Um, so new kinds of arrangements and new spaces where both teachers and pupils, students can come together in new kinds of ways. So those spaces might make, create new containers in which you get more diversity and so a wider range of interactions. And that's what's both creative, but also a little bit spooky about it for teachers because the interactions can't entirely be predicted. They can't entirely be controlled. You're taking a bit of a risk. It might all fall flat or it might go in directions that you haven't anticipated and that's slightly scary. So what you see across the schools is um, new spaces for interactions happening. So it might be, if you like, pedagogical spaces, so project-based learning or design thinking as a space in which a new kind of interaction between students and with teachers can happen. It might be about timing and timetable so that you're allowing interactions to happen over a longer period of time, um, particularly because you know, breaking time up into 45 or 50 minute blocks is not conducive to the different kinds of time scales that learning needs to happen over. It might be entirely new settings. So you've seen schools redesign themselves and their own spaces to allow different kinds of interaction to happen. But they've also interacted with the real world in a different way. They've opened themselves up to allow the world in and to allow students to engage with learning in the real world. And most importantly, it's about who's involved and how. And so you see experiments with um, learning at different scales, pairs, groups, teams, collaboratives, entire schools engaged in these collective kind of moments of ex experiment. And out of it, you see um, new tools for learning emerging, uh, new frameworks emerging for these interactions and new kinds of interactions emerging, particularly where the students 
then become much more engaged, much more active. They become active rather than inert ingredients in that equation. They become catalytic. It's not just the teacher. And so you get a, a, a whole new pattern of interactions emerging um, in schools. And, and that's what I mean, really, by the school becoming a new pattern of interactions. That's fantastic, Charlie. I almost think about something we've mentioned earlier about the, the fractal, you know, the kind of the, the pattern that then self-replicates and the idea of moving from the old patterns, the old signatures, as you say, to the, the new. Uh, and, and yeah, take us through the, the rituals as well before we go to our two practitioners here. There seem to be a lot of devices in these patterns that are not based on learning principles. They're based on organizational principles. I mean, you talked, for example, about the time scale of how learning happens. And, you know, we just seem that there's this maxim about there should be seven lessons in a day, for example. Um, it seems to be a pattern that isn't, isn't yet fully challenged across systems. Yeah, there's a really interesting designer in America called Ken Bailey. And Ken talks about ideas, arrangements and effects and he says a lot of the time we focus on ideas and we focus on their effects, but we miss the arrangement. And I think there's a lot in schools that is about the arrangement already being set, that the classroom is already set up in a particular way. And because it's set up in that way, you just kind of fall into it. Oh, this is yeah. a lesson. That's what I can do. You know, there's going to be, this is the timetable. This is the day, so on and so forth. It's sort of set so that only certain ideas can can work and so breaking up that arrangement even just the arrangement of a classroom and a lesson then creates a sort of new space of possibility for new patterns to emerge but it takes quite a step to be able to step out of that arrangement you can have a new idea i mean that's not that difficult having an idea but creating a new arrangement like a timetable or like you know, uh, a, a different mix of disciplines in a, in a lesson or project-based learning, that's a, that's a different kind of undertaking. Um, and I, th I think there is this sort of sense in the schools, I think, that there have been catalytic moments where suddenly actually a, something new emerges out of these ingredients, which previously had been working together, but in a fairly inert way. And it's like, it's like I'm not a scientist, but... Um, it's like um, the way that scientists talk about phase transitions, you know, that under certain conditions, water becomes steam or water, ice becomes water. And the same thing can suddenly take on a completely different form. And I think that's part of what these schools have seen is that you can take the same things, the same building, the same teachers, the same students, but actually they can go through a kind of phase transition. And they can then interact and become and take on a form that you haven't really anticipated they could. I love it. Um, fantastic. Well, let's get into it. Let's hear from our two practitioners that we have here in the studio today. Uh, first of all, let's just um, give us a sense of who you are and where you've come from today. Um, my name is John. I'm from Tatachilla Wuderham College, which is uh, 40 kilometres south of where we are now in a wine region. Lovely part of the world. Hmm. John, thanks for being here. My name is Nick Masachi. I'm a teacher at the Mount Barker Water School in the Adelaide Hills. Great to have you both here. Let's start. Let's start with you, Nick. Let's get a bit of a sense of 
the journey towards creating new patterns. We've just heard from Charlie, you know, the conception about how we try to might try to phase transition in our schools, you know, take on new forms. Give us a sense of where this work started for you and where you've gotten to so far. I think um, it started making us think a bit more deeper about patterns when we started talking about um, narrative and storytelling in some of our sessions that we've done with Charlie previously. Um, and we talked a little bit about um, being on a train. We had metaphors mm. um, for our school and we talked about being on a train and that predictability of the school day for teachers and for students um, and for parents as well. And there's almost an emotional investment from everyone knowing that that's kind of what you do and that's how it is. Um, and then we've kind of looked at this new model of uh, scuba diving where it's a shared experience, but everyone's kind of looking and seeing different things through their own eyes. Um, and then there's an opportunity to collaborate at the end and say, oh, did you see that? And have a bit of wonder in mm. what's going on. So I think for us, that's kind of where we're at in terms of exploring wonder and, and looking at looking at it in a different way. I love it. Give, give us a bit more of a sense of the, the practical exploration for you. You know, so gives a sense of the equipment that you've got you're using for the scuba diving trips you know what to use the metaphor you know what's how are you kind of exploring the new patterns piece in, in the in the structures of the school etc so currently we're working with um mostly our year 11 and 12 students in a workshop lesson which um, i'm sure other schools have uh, used for i think many years but we've just introduced it recently in terms of giving students the freedom to work um in a 35 minute lesson on whatever they would like to in terms of um, if they're in a maths headspace, they can stay in it for an extra lesson. Um, or if they're doing an artistic piece, they can invest more time into that while they're working on it. Um, and then there's teachers there on the perimeter, just kind of being there as a support in terms of if, if a student has a question, mm -hmm. they can they can use the teacher um, rather than the teacher kind of guiding what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I love it. I mean, your colleague uh, in a previous episode, Eleanor, spoke about the idea of creating space. You know, and the idea then of how we have to change our identity as teachers in some ways to kind of be the guide on the side. Um, I'm I'm really interested in you to just explore what, while we're here around what's the challenge that's come up in trying to do that specifically around the new patterns piece. I think time. So for, for teachers to give up time um, to deliver content, it has been a challenge. And I think teachers are trying to grapple with how do they still cover what they wanted to cover. Mm. Um, but also giving students the time as well. So that flexibility from teachers to recreate the way in which they deliver content mm. um, is a way in which I think that's been, been a way we've done. Yeah, great. Fantastic, Nick. John, let's go to you. Give us a sense about the journey there at Tatachilla, you know, around the creating of new patterns. Where did you start? Where are you now? We were driven by our sort of original understanding, our beginning understanding of agency uh, that being that um, the adults give children choice or a voice in their learning. Um, and um, so we looked at the original or the existing uh, structures that we had, um, such as um, the SRC yeah. and the teacher who was leading that, um, uh, trying to um, let go uh, probably a bit, which I think is uh, a challenge for teachers I don't know why but um, it is um, in other um, areas as well such as um, uh, chapel preparation or assembly preparation mm -hmm. some of the teachers were uh, again trying to hand over more autonomy uh, 
to the children in the development of whatever they were going to present, um, largely resulting in things that were uh, slightly more uh, chaotic uh, and free uh, and even creative. In fact, one of the, uh, the year five chapel presentation from last year, and it's one of the most memorable things. Right. Um, <laughs> in my time at the college, at any rate, and the children were very much um, uh, had, well, had a lot of um, uh, autonomy um, in that presentation. Take us a bit into the ideas of SRC, for example, or you know some of the the uh, we might use this language, Charlie, like old patterns, you know, that that exist that we've inherited from our school system. Um, John, give us a sense of, you know, how do we, how, what does the new, what might the new pattern look like in terms of things like student leadership or things like assemblies, for example, that, you know, we've heard many examples across this podcast series so far about that. Um, well, one of the things that uh, came up later in the project that was discussed um, that um, challenged me was the notion of, um, creating order through purpose and co-created order versus order imposed. And um, as a, a leader in a school, you know, you get the naughty kids to deal with and, and the choice they have is, you know, I can impose order on your world at school or we can create it together through restorative principles or mm. practices rather. Um, and... Um, you know, that's really the, that's on the horizon uh, for me. You know, that's, the, that's the, the great hope that you would have a school that's created uh, through um, or co-created rather than mm. you know, imposed. Um, but that's a long way away from tinkering with the current models and, and that requires a completely different way of thinking about schooling. But in Charlie talking just then about, you know, tables and chairs and what have you, um, schools are notoriously hard to change, and I don't know why. And the pendulum swings, you know, open classrooms, closed classrooms, flexible furniture, furniture in rows, and, uh, but, you know, it's hard to get somewhere, I think. Mm. Charlie, let's go to you on this this piece because I think you've heard here from... John and from Nick both around, you know, some of the challenges, you know, spoken about it in, in earlier lessons around teacher identity, around, you know, philosophy, practice and product. Um, but John's made this, you know, point that, you know, order being imposed versus co-constructed order. Um, what's your reflections about, well, really about how you do co-constructed order? Um, in some ways, because it's a new pattern in that in that sense. Yeah, I mean, I think John John puts it very well that you know the 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 old patterns, the familiar patterns. Everyone knows where they are in that arrangement and what to expect, and it's a sort of script laid out for you, and you know your role, and it it may be suboptimal and boring, or but actually, it's we at least we know where we are. We know how things work, even if they don't work as well as they might. And so to shift from that, um, and, and you do see people shifting. John's also right that you see these fashions, don't you? Which are sort of a bit superficial in a way. 
um, with just a sort of, oh, this is a new technique. Um, to shift um, asks big questions, doesn't it? And and so then, and it's a risk because will you actually find order through purpose? Will it? It's much harder. It's it takes more. And as Nick said, it takes more time. You know, you can't do it quickly. And sometimes you need to do it quickly. So, you know, the sort of fall back into the old way is is so easy. Um, so then, really understanding how you create both a sense of purpose, but also a place to start, I suppose. You know, where do you start so you can build up momentum, you can build up a different kind of practice and show it? And I think that's one of the questions I think the schools have grappled with. Do you start with a whole school and it's a whole philosophy or do you start in this place and try and, you know, build it out of, uh, you know, kind of the way you do presentations at an assembly or in a, in a chapel? Um, and there is something, I think, about this me- the, the, the attraction of a metaphor like scuba diving is that it's both big and small, isn't it? And it is about checklists and having equipment and taking things seriously, but it's also about entirely new kinds of experiences in in an entirely new kind of setting. So I think the power of those metaphors is is important to keep people oriented back to, well, what's the different thing that we're trying to do? How do I get back to that? And so it's a constant process of sort of trying to reorientate yourself back to the different thing and away from the familiar thing, which is easy, we can slip into, but actually won't get us what we think is really possible. Mm. Charlie, I'm, I'm interested, in, and John and Nick, just your responses on this. The, I just heard the idea of the rituals that take place and the language that's used in the, in the school and how difficult it is to shift the arrangement, as Charlie's just said. So uh, what have you noticed in terms of the rituals that might be shifting across the journey that you've had um, over the couple of years? You know, the idea of how teachers think about themselves or the ritual of saying, good morning, everyone. You know, you know, these things are part of what make a school a school. You know, we're going to do the role in the morning. Except, um, is there any comments or reflections you'd have on that? You know, any rituals that have shifted because of this work so far? One area that we uh, take seriously and, and want to do as well as we can is the creation of the classroom communities. Mm. Um, so the classroom as a um, community where everybody takes responsibility for what happens um, and you know, we're, we're all in it together and um, uh, everyone you know, has responsibility for the behaviour and the learning uh, in the community and we all belong there and, and all of that. So um, it's something that um, we um, have encouraged um, teachers to invest time in um, and um, to view it as an opportunity for the children to be you know, agents of their own destiny within that, uh, that uh, mini uh, society. Mm-hmm. Mm. Nick, anything to add? I guess being a Waldorf school, we have the head, heart and hands um, that we look at daily and we talk about um, what like a morning verse and afternoon verse is kind of part of our ritual of what we do on a day-to-day basis. Um, but I think, as Charlie mentioned, the, the changing of the rituals can be tricky. And as I, as I mentioned before, like you expect things in different year levels. So our parents come in and say, oh, this is what we do in this year level. We go on this particular camp. So I think when that changes, it's interesting to see 
how students and parents and teachers react to, oh, that's not what we, that's what we have always done sort of thing. So I think changing those um, rituals from what you do year to year is interesting. Mm. What do you what do you think so far the greatest challenge has been? Nick, you spoke about time, for example. John, you've talked about kind of the stickiness of change. Um, give us a sense of what's been the challenge and have you been able to successfully navigate it so far? Um, we have regular meetings as an agency group and sort of discuss what we're seeing and, and the changes we're seeing and what, what could potentially be a challenge. And we've talked about digital platforms as, as a new challenge in terms of how do you embrace it and use it as a, as a tool mm. um, in the world we live today and, and looking at what works um, with, with digital and technology in the classroom. Um, and I guess a little bit about the challenge of going up the mountain and then getting to the summit and then all of a sudden you're going back down the hill and there's that dip. Yeah. Um, you need to refocus and, and re-look at um, what your goals are and what you're trying to achieve out of different aspects of, of learning. Great. Mm. Mm. John? I think a challenge is um, teachers having a sense of their own agency, professional agency, and... Um, because uh, that, um, or, well, I think you become aware of your agency when it's challenged. So, mm. <laughs> you know, that thing of that sense of I'm, I'm not allowed to do this any, anymore or, you know, th things change and, and so your professional agency is challenged. Um, so you, be, you become aware of really what agency is. Mm. Um, and uh, but also... Um, uh, yeah, building, giving teachers permission. I guess that's that's one way of looking at agency to step out and fail or have a wonderful success or whatever it is um, uh, in whatever they are trying to do. Mm. And just to follow up on this journey, what surprised you? You know, what's kind of jumped out? Because a common theme across this is the idea of having to well, be courageous in some ways, step into uncertainty and the creativity that can emerge from that that place. So have there been any moments so far? I mean, John, you spoke about a specific assembly, for example, where these five kind of just wowed everybody. On the, uh, the journey of agency, um, what has surprised me, and I'm in the middle of it at the moment, the year eights are doing their service projects. They email me and say, can we come to the junior school and read with the year ones or take the receptions out for a PE lesson or run face painting? And I just want to say no. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think, no, you know, let's work this through with them and because they 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 have a sense of purpose in this and, and a sense of agency. So uh, the surprise is uh, even though um, I know it in my, perhaps in my head, you know, you need, really need to get it into your heart where you... Um, you uh, don't want to shut down, you know, the mini agents or the, the uh, even the immature agency that that um, might be uh, what's before you. Um, so that that's surprised me. Mm. Um, perhaps it shouldn't. Uh, I should know myself better. But <laughs> no, well, it's nice to be surprised, isn't it? <laughs> Nick, what what about you? What um, I think through our workshop lessons, the. Something that surprised me has been the collaboration between teachers. Mm. So there's an opportunity to look at 
what other teachers are doing a bit more. I think teaching can sometimes be a bit of a lonely job, like you move from class to class. Mm. Um, you don't have a lot of interactions with your colleagues um, if, you're, if you're a busy timetable. So I think our workshop lessons have been great in terms of teachers being able to share what's going into lessons and then students can share what they've been doing in other lessons. So we get this collaborative approach to learning across um, multiple subjects. Mm. And I think it comes into that scuba diving approach where you might see something else that someone else might not notice. And um, yeah, I think that's been a bit of a surprise that there's been more collaboration through teachers and students sharing their learning experiences. Charlie, that sounds a lot like a new pattern to me. <laughs> so what um yeah no it, it absolutely does and um both both those in a way are new patterns i mean students coming and proposing and asking and john going through an, a different set of reactions to that which you know could create up and create a different kind of interaction rather than a no or a, sorry that's difficult or impossible i mean john's talking about making himself open to that possible interaction um and and uh, an interesting distinction that john makes there between a sort of immature or superficial or kind of agency and and a more mature agency and being able to spot that and students being able to spot that as well um and then the, the uh, mount baker waldorf the the sense that this workshop lesson has become a new kind of a new container in a way for a new set of interactions being possible that weren't possible before with same people, same building, you know, a lot of the same ingredients just organized in a quite different kind of way and a whole set of different things coming out of it. And the importance then of that sort of sense of having a product, you know, having a thing, but you can see in the thing, you can see this bigger story and you can build a practice around it both for the students and and for the for the students um so and then the other thing i suppose i'm sort of just reflecting on is is the sense in which students now and i wonder how diff how much of a difference this makes is that students now have different spaces that they're in they have this digital space and it's full of possibility and risk and danger, and they're navigating it. They know they're navigating it on their own a lot of the time. So, you know, I wonder how much of a difference that makes to the way in which we um, interact with students, gain their attention, their interest. And then also just this recognition that the world outside is not routine, it's not predictable, it's full of global warning and, you know, all sorts of things going on. So they mm. kind of know that actually the world, the, the school is it's not like this. You know, when when I went to school, I, I had the sense that, you know, this is, this is how I live my life and I don't really know how the rest of the world gets on, but I assume it's sort of a continuation of this in some sense. And now there's that dissonance in students' heads, presumably. Yeah. So, so they know that they need to interact with it in different ways because it's happening the whole time. So I wonder how much of a difference that makes to, to the schools. That's such a, such a great point, Charlie. And I mean, even just the concept of exponential change versus linear change and the kind of increasing gap in some ways between the accelerating shifts and, and back to your earlier points, John and Nick, about the challenges of shifting you know, the immune system that we heard previously uh, in the previous podcast, the idea of repelling anything that kind of challenges the organizational rituals in some ways. So I, I want us to end on 
on a piece of advice that you would give to a school educators team that want to undertake this work? What, what advice would you impart uh, at this point? Nick, we'll go to you first. Um, be creative with it. So, and be open um, and take risks. I think um, risk taking obviously opens you up personally as a teacher to things that maybe you don't want to see within a classroom or you're not expecting to see. Um, but I think then that opens up another avenue for um, something new to occur within your classroom and, and it might change a pattern of the way you go about doing mm. a lesson that you've done 15 times. A slight risk that you might take in a lesson might open up a new opportunity. Mm. I love it. Mm. Yeah, and building on that, I think the um, you need to champion uh, and invest in the risk in the risk takers, um, so they can be a reference point for others and and see that you know the world doesn't end when you hand over to the students a bit more or whatever the risk is that they're taking the the path to the unknown. Um, so I would agree with that. I also think that. Um, uh, knowing what the summit is or the vision is, even though you don't, well, we didn't really know um, at the beginning of the project, but um, once you have a sense of what the vision is, um, comparing or measuring the patterns that you currently have and perhaps new patterns mm. against uh, or with the ruler of uh, will it get us to the summit or not? Or is this just an old pattern mm. that refuses to? Refuses <laughs> to. Um, Charlie, I want to go to you for the final, final word in particular. You know, obviously consciousness and awareness is the prerequisite here. You, if you're not aware of the old pattern, then really there's no understanding of how we might create a new one. But what do you, what do you want to end us with around this create new patterns well, lesson? One way of thinking about it, there are many different ways of thinking about these patterns, but one way of thinking about it is about rhythm in a way. And I, I remember a, a critical moment for me in this whole thing was when I went to see a school in London called School 21, which is set up by someone I know, called Peter Hyman. And Peter's um, views on education are really, really powerful, radical, different, but also very sensible and obvious. And he's a great advocate of um, building the capability for agency from early on for young people taking initiative and responsibility. And so I'd been talking to Peter for a long time about all these things, but had never really managed to get to School 21. And I went to School 21 for the first time and he showed me, he said, we're going to go into a lesson. Um, uh, it's a drama lesson and a history lesson at the same time. And it was in a huge space like a hall. And it was um, two drama teachers and one history teacher leading a group of, I would say, 60 kids. And they were doing drama. So they were developing a a sort of Bertolt Brecht-type drama about propaganda whilst they were doing a history lesson about the rise of the Third Reich. And I went in and for, I would say, the first, I don't know, 20 minutes, I thought this is absolute chaos. You know, there's no learning going on. There's no order. There's no control. How on earth can they hear themselves think? It's all over the place. 
so on and so forth. And so actually my initial reaction was a sort of immune system reaction. My initial reaction was someone's got to get control of this because like who knows what's going on. And it took me a while to get into the kind of cacophonous rhythm of it, that actually there was a rhythm to it. And actually the noise wasn't disorderly. And that actually there were sort of teams of about 12 going round in different groups to different stages, working with the drama teachers. And then a group would peel off and sit in the corner on the floor with the history teacher and go through their workbooks. And as you went on, and then as it turned eventually into a performance where each group performed for the whole group, and then they got critical feedback from the students much more than the teachers, you realise that actually um, there was this underlying order to it. It wasn't chaotic. It was just an entirely new pattern of reactions. And what those students were doing was learning history through drama and deepening their drama through history and a team of teachers teaching together in an entirely new way. And that container, which was two classrooms with the wall taken out in a double period, had become a container for a completely different set of interactions, which were extraordinarily powerful but if you had chosen at after 20 minutes you might well have just shut it down because you might not have spotted what that order was and the immense skill that those teachers were deploying in order to create it push you know sort of facilitate it um, bring it along and um, so it's very easy to stop too early it's very easy to get frightened and step back. Um, and, but you've got to look for that sort of different kind of rhythm coming through. Um, and there will be a rhythm. I love it. It's a wonderful way to finish our conversation on lesson six, creating new patterns. A huge thank you to John, Nick, and of course to you, Charlie, for a fabulous conversation. Thank you for listening. 